Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 29 is going to be our text this morning. And let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, I lift up this morning. And Lord, we, we worship you. We, we glorify your name, your name, which is above every name. Lord, we lift you up. And Father, I pray that as we open up your precious word, that you would speak your truth into our hearts. That you would reveal yourself to us in a greater way. That you would bind us together as a church body. The same purpose, same vision. And Lord, that this church body would glorify you, not only in our personal lives, but Lord, as a, corporately as a church. I pray that you would have your hand upon each one that's not able to be here today. Bless them. Lord, touch those that are sick. Lord, just be glorified in this church today. Pour out your Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message, The Test of Truth. We're actually going to take that third test uh, that I've been talking about. We started out with that test of obedience, and then we took the test of truth, or excuse me, of love, and this morning it's going to be the test of truth. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 14, most of us know that section of Scripture. It's talking about putting on the armor of God. And Paul starts out by saying that we're to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, and then he says, stand therefore having your waist girded with truth. It's that part of the armor that we first put on. That belt of truth. It's that truth that holds all the other pieces of armor that we would put on with that together. The belt of truth. It's essential for us to know the truths of God's Word, to know them well, to have strong convictions about the truth of God's Word. Because truth is under attack. It always has been. But it it still is today, and I believe in in a greater way probably than it ever has been. John wrote in 3 John, Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and they testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walked in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's real important for us as Christians to be able to take this test this morning and to, to, to put ourselves up against the truths of God's Word and to ask ourselves, do I know this? Am I convinced of this? Do I have this strong conviction about what I believe as a Christian? Those things that pertain to Jesus Christ. The Apostle John out of all the apostles, out of actually all the letters in the New Testament, he spoke more of truth than any of the other apostles. As a matter of fact, he used the word truth in the letters that he wrote in the New Testament 22 times. Uh, There's only 69 times in all of the New Testament that the word truth is used. John used that word 22 times. Nine or uh, 22 of those times, excuse me, it's more than that. 22 of those times were just in the Gospel of John. 22 times. 
In 1 John, he uses it nine times, 2 John, three times, in 3 John, five times. That's 39 times that John used this word truth in the New Testament. There's 69 times that it's used in the New Testament. And so John spoke a lot about truth. He had some real insight about the truths that we hold to. In John 1.14, a familiar scripture to most of us, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is Jesus Christ becoming flesh. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full, He was full of grace and what? Truth. Full of grace and truth. That's Jesus Christ. John 1.17 tells us, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 8.32 And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many of you have been freed from the bondage of sin? through even the truth of the Gospel. Jesus Christ coming in and saving you. You put your faith in Him. That truth set you free. John 14.6 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus claimed to be truth. The truth. In John 16.13 However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. The Spirit of truth that lives and dwells inside of every true believer, He'll guide you into truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. That was Jesus' prayer for you and I. Sanctify them by your truth. To sanctify something means to set it apart. And do it. he wants to do that by the truth of his word. And then it says, your word is truth. If you hold a Bible in your hand, you have all the truths of God right there at your disposal. It's all truth. God's Word. In John 17, 19, And for their sakes I I sanctify Myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The truth of God is important. It's why we're seeing John write in this letter and using it as a test for us to test ourselves against the truth of God's Word. Gandhi made this statement, I believe in the fundamental truth of all great religions in the world. In other words, he wanted to lump them all into one big group. And that's not true. Alfred North Whitehead made this statement. He was a British mathematician who became an American philosopher, this is what he said about truth. There are no whole truths. All truths are half-truths. It is trying to treat them as a whole truth that plays the devil. You see, there are people in this world, and many more. As a matter of fact, if you want to just blow your circuits in your mind, then just go read about all the philosophers of the past and what their view was on what truth is. We live in a world full of people that have various answers, various thoughts on what truth is. And what's the right religion? How does somebody get right with God? And every truth that you would know of is found in the Word of God. And I believe it's the Word of God that separates truth from error. It's why we hold so dear to it. It's why I teach it verse by verse in the way I... Because I want you to know all of the counsel of God's Word. 
You see, the Christian faith is based upon historical facts. You see, your, your faith is not a blind faith. There's history that proves it out. Even for the atheists, even for the not, they can't deny the historical figure of Jesus Christ. History tells us there was a Jesus Christ that existed, a Pontius Pilate that crucified him. And even history tells us through eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. Your faith is based on historical facts. It's also based upon the prophetic word, God's word. Prophecy declares all of the events beforehand in the life of Christ. It's what gives such a strong foundation to our faith. Prophecy in Scripture. Some have said that one-third of the Scripture has something to do with prophecy. And then we have the Bible, the Word of God, something that we hold in our hands right now in this country. And we, we have the whole Word of God, 66 books of the Bible. It's everything we need to know about the truths of God right here. And Christianity, our faith, is founded in the Bible. It's why people want to battle against the Bible. They want to say it's not true. It's just a book that has been written by a man or by men. And that's a lie. And for those of us that know how unique and that the Word of God is inspired by God, it is the living Word of God. Paul says in Ephesians 4.21 that the truth is in Jesus. You want to know the truth? You need to look to Jesus. The truth is found in Him. In Jesus Christ. We started John's letter with the test of obedience in chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. We all had to take that test individually. As we sat here and heard that test, we had to to ask ourselves, do I pass that test? The test of obedience. We took the test of love in chapter 2, 7 through 11, and had to ask ourselves the question, do I and am I experiencing this supernatural love, this sacrificial love in my life? Because the Holy Spirit when He dwells and lives inside of a believer, it's going to be the outcome. And if we do not have God's love, then we don't possess truth. Last Sunday, John warned us in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Today, we're going to take that third test That test really comes out in chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. It's the test of truth. But John is also going to bring out another warning to us this morning as a church. He's going to warn us that there are many false Christs that are in the world. Uh, They've always been there. False Christ. Remember... John in this letter is defining to us what a true Christian is. I'm I'm glad we have this letter. Because there are a lot of people today that question what a true Christian is. What are the earmarks of a Christian? How do we know? Lots of people say they are. Statistics tell us there's a lot of them. But the reality is we don't see that all the time in people. And so it's very important for us to know how to define what a Christian is. And also to avoid those that would be anti-Christ. In our text this morning, John gives us another promise verse. 
Remember I've shared that one of the purposes of John writing this letter is that we might have assurance of salvation, that we could actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt where we're going to go when we die. It should never be the the question mark in a Christian's mind of where he's going to go when he or she dies. 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise. You all like promises, don't you? This is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. It's a promise of God. And you can stand upon the very Word of God. The question is, we just need to line our life up with the Word of God and say, am I truly a believer? Examine yourself whether you're of the faith. Prove yourself. Test yourself, lest you be a reprobate, is what Paul said and and exhorted us to do. Just always keep in mind that your salvation should always be based upon the Word of God. Not based upon you feeling like you're saved. If I were to ask you that question, how do you know you're saved? Well, I just feel I am. I just I mean, Feelings in themselves are not the basis for our assurance. Oh, I feel saved. Well, feelings can be wrong. What is the Word of God? How do we line up to the Word of God? That's what's important, not feelings. John wrote in chapter 1, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice what? The truth. It's the test of truth that we're taking this morning. We do not practice the truth if we are calling ourselves a Christian but walking in darkness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And again, he says, the truth is not in us. In chapter 2, verse 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And again, he says, the truth is not in him. This test of truth is important. We're going to talk about this morning and we're going to look at the things that are necessary for a person to come into a right relationship with God. Remember in John's Gospel, when Jesus was arrested, we're told that he went and he stood before Pilate there in the Praetorium, and Pilate called for Jesus to come to him. And Pilate asked Jesus on this occasion, this is before he was going to be crucified, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered Pilate, he says, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? That was his response to him. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests are the ones that have delivered you to me. What have you done, Jesus? Jesus answered and he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And and when Jesus started using this word kingdom, King Herod, he's, he's talking about a kingdom that he has. That was threatening to a wicked King Herod. Pilate therefore said to Jesus, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to what? The truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to Jesus, And this is the the point. What is truth? How many people are making that statement today? It's what Pilate made to Jesus when he talked about all that will hear my voice. Those that really know me, they know what I'm saying is true. 
And Pilate, in his mind, like so many today, what is truth? Let's go there. What are you talking about? What is truth? Some of you, in times past, meaning before Christ, might have been one of those skeptics. Skepticism. It's defined as a a questioning attitude that people could have. It's doubt towards uh, something that is an accepted belief, a knowledge or a belief. You're a skeptic. Here's the facts. Here's the proof. Here's the, here's the truths, of it, but you're skeptical of it. That's a skeptic. Pilate was skeptical about what he was hearing from Jesus' mouth. Also remember that as John is writing this letter, that John was having to write this in light of a group that was very active in the day. They were called the Gnostics. Remember, they are the ones that were, it's defined as the knowing ones. (laughs) The knowing ones. They held the view that the existence of God or the supernatural was actually unknowable. You couldn't know it. Do you see how that's a perfect lie of the enemy? Against truth? You can't even know for sure. Agnosticism comes from the Greek word a, which is the prefix for the word in our English, no. And then the second part of it is gnosis, which is our English word, knowledge. No knowledge is what agnosticism is. And there are people today under different labels that would fall under that category of Gnosticism. But you know what? It's actually a very dangerous lie. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the greatest and most dangerous lies for this simple reason. That if you can stay in the middle, if if you're agnostic or you remain ignorant to the truth and you say, you know what, I'm not going to get on one side of the fence or the other. I'm not going to say there's not a God and I'm not going to say there is a God. I'm just going to simply just see how it all pans out. I'm going to stay in the middle. That's a very unsafe place to be. And it's a lie that if somebody lives in that mindset, it doesn't matter what you would tell me. It doesn't matter what truth, because I'm not going to get onto either side of that coin. That's what was happening even, we'll say, within some within the church of the day. Most of us here have either said some of these statements or you have heard them said. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Or my truth is just as valid as your truth. What makes your truth any greater than mine? People make these claims about their truth, what they, what they believe. And you can't say that your truth is the only truth. To some people, that, that's just being arrogant. You mean to tell me, you, you know, you Christians say you're the only way that a person can get to God? But let me ask you, are you as a Christian convinced that that's what Jesus taught in the Word of God? He said He was the only way. The truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Very narrow-minded. As a matter of fact, as Christians... You are already labeled by this world. You're fanatics. You're, in a sense, arrogant. And in some respects, you're actually even a dangerous person to this world. Because you hold to this particular truth that you are so dogmatic about. And as a matter of fact, you know, it's through you Christians that create all the the turmoil and wars we have today. It's politically incorrect to say that you follow 
a Jesus Christ that claims to be the only way to God. All the religions of the world would refute you on that. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not is the answer to that. Let God be true and every man a liar. So in other words, if somebody were to make a statement against the word of God, against God, you know what, I'm sorry, but you know what, that's fine for you, but I don't believe that truth. Does that mean because they don't believe it or they say it's not true that it's not? God has already said it. And they really say, God, you're lying. Let God be true, but every man a liar. You see, Jesus says, I am truth. My word is truth. We don't make truth be what we want it to be. He is truth. So what is the responsibility of mankind when it comes to truth? What was our responsibility the day that we gave our life to Christ? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that there are some that suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What's it mean to suppress something? It means to push it down, to push it away. It's like you sharing the gospel with somebody, but in their self, and they're just pressing that away, pushing it down. Don't talk, you know, don't talk to me about that. I don't, I, you know, I don't like that kind of stuff. And, and they want to suppress the truth. Push it away. It's, it, it's convicting. But they don't want to have it. And, and it's a responsibility of all mankind. What are you going to do with the truth? Paul says there are unrighteous men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he says, and they are without excuse. They won't stand before God someday and say, you know what? Hey, I I just was mixed up on a few things. It also says of them that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. There are people that it would exchange the truth, the glorious truth of the gospel for a lie. Sometimes it just blows my mind when I see some of the things that people follow. You ever looked at some of the weird religions out there? All the, all the junk that people follow? And you go, wow. I mean, how do they even do it? I mean, somebody, I mean, you know, how do they even do that? Some of the stuff is just weird. And they follow it like a religion. You know, the snake handlers and all that. Wow, how do people do that? I mean, why not just the simple gospel that the Word speaks about? It's truth. But they'll go after a lie. Because it allows them to live their life the way they want, but they can still practice their religion. God says it's insufficient. John starts with words of care and love for children in our text this morning, but also with a word of warning about antichrists that are here and they're coming. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists, plural, have come by which we know that it is the last hour. I believe that the early church 2,000 years ago was living in the expectancy of Christ's return. 2,000 years later, we are too. We live in expectancy of Christ's return. John is writing to them as little children, children of the age. He's talking to them really as a pastor to these to, to, to a flock And saying, little children, it is the last hour. He's giving them, in a sense, a warning. This word, the last hour, also is translated the last time, which actually speaks in the context here of the suddenness that these antichrists came on the scene. It did not take long in the early church 
for antichrists, plural, to rise up, even within the church. There is also, though, the coming antichrist, singular, that is coming. He says, you have heard that the antichrist, singular, is coming. Even now, many antichrists, plural, have come. In other words, they're already in our midst. The list of antichrists that we have in our world today, you could probably fill up about four pages if you wanted to print them off on your computer. Just a few of them that you're familiar with are the Jehovah's Witnesses, which teach that Jesus is not Jehovah God, but that he is a little God. That's Antichrist. Mormonism. Jesus was a man like you and I once, but he became a God, and you can too. That's Antichrist. The Unification Church. Jesus was a perfect man, but not God, not born of a virgin. Scientology, Jesus was not the creator and did not die for sins. The New Age, Jesus is a spiritual um, modal or a guru. He was a New Ager that tapped into the powers the same way we can. Islam, that Jesus was the most respected prophet, but he's not God. The Baha'i faith. Jesus was one of the many manifestations of God. Each supersedes the other, giving new teachings about God. Hinduism, he's a teacher. He did not die for sins, and he did not rise from the dead. Hare Krishna, Jesus is an enlightened vegetarian teacher who taught meditation. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to keep going. I mean, Buddhism, he's an enlightened teacher. I mean... On and on and on. What is an antichrist? Those that are opposed to Christ and the truth of God's word. And how many have fallen to it? How many practice these things? Around the way, the world, one third of the population is Muslim. Antichrist. I once was out door-to-door witnessing and I came across this woman that was out doing her gardening and I started talking to her, sharing the gospel with her. She told me she had some people come into her house that were telling teaching her about the Bible. All of a sudden I started thinking, are you talking about a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you understand what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Well, I think they teach what I always believed. So, well, what do you believe? Well, I was raised in a Baptist church growing up. I said, do you not understand that what the Baptists teach and what the Jehovah's Witness teach is not the same? Really? Did you know that, that, that the Jehovah's Witness teach that Jesus was a God, but he's not God? No. They don't teach that. Yes, they do. And as a matter of fact, I, I, I exhort you to go, go check it out and find out what they really believe before you ever have them come back to your house again. I followed up with her a couple of weeks later. When I knocked on her door, she came to the door and she says, thank you so much. I realized what you were telling me was true. And I had to tell no, you're not coming over here anymore. You know what I mean? But you, you see the deception of the enemy? They, they use Jesus. It's the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, the Mormon Jesus, the Baha'i Jesus. They're, they're all, but they're all a different Jesus. Last week, we looked at the world systems that are opposite to God. They're opposite to truth. And they want to draw you and I away from the truth. The Antichrists that are in our world today with all of their lies and all of their confusion. They want to feed you lies as a believer. Confuse you over the issue. And the only thing that sorts that out is the Word of God. That's the only thing that will sort you out. 
is to know God's Word and to know the truth of His Word and to know Jesus Christ and who He is. In chapter 4, we're going to be warned about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, meaning that there's both, and we have to be aware as Christians. I've been sharing, and I've shared a couple times with you about this word know, K-N-O-W, know. We find it in our English Bibles, but it actually has different Greek words for them. And I want to bring this out to you again. If you, in our text this morning, I think we're going to see the word no six times. There's two Greek words that are being used here. One is the word gnosko in Greek. And the other one is, word is oida. Now, the word gnosko uh, is a word that speaks about knowledge that you gain through experience in your walk with Christ. You're coming to know more and more who Jesus Christ is in a greater way. You're, you're acquiring knowledge more and more about Him as you grow. The other word, oida, is divine knowledge that has been imparted to you by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way that it's like saying, when I came to know the truth of who Jesus Christ was, the blinders were removed. That's a, that's a work of God. You came to know Him. That He is, in fact, God in flesh. That's Oida. A good example of both of these words being used together is in verse 29 of our text this morning. If you know that He is righteous, that word know there is oida. So I want you to think of just the definitions that I gave you. If you know, oida, that He is righteous, then you know, gnosko, that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Do you see the two and how they're working? It's two different Greek words, our same word, no. One is divine impartation of truth by the Holy Spirit. The other one is us learning and understanding in a greater way, knowing and coming to know. Verse 19, look at your Bibles. It says, they, the they there is speaking of the Antichrist, plural. The Antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So, what do you mean? They were with them? They were in their midst? They were around them? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest or it might be made evident that none of them were of us. You see, even within the church, what we'll call the church, we have to have our guard up. There are some that were trying to even infiltrate the church and the thinking within the church with their own philosophies and ideas, creating confusion, bringing in a lie. But when those people get called out, and this quite happens a lot, I've had to, to do that at times in church. If somebody is bringing in something that is of a heresy sort, and they just, they're, they're bringing a, a non-truth and they're adamant about it and they're not teachable, that's, that's dangerous for the body. They went out from us. It, it, it proved evident that they weren't of us. That's why they went out. Well, we, you know, we can't fellowship here anymore. We can't be here anymore. Don't ever buy into the lie that tells you that you don't need other Christians in your life. We need each other, don't we? You can't do church very well from home. We just sit here. We do our own thing. You know, too many hypocrites in the church. And we have, we have to be careful that, that as a church body that we realize the importance of the fellowship. 
We're not, John is not talking about those going out from us in the sense of these are people that are leaving this church because they want to go to a, another one for some other reason. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that are anti-Christ. People that are opposed to the truth. And they went out and it became evident that they never really were of us. John says, um, or excuse me, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We're all in a race. If you were to start out in a race from the starting blocks, feet on the ground, and you took off, and everyone saw you take off, man, look at that guy go, or look at that woman go, look at her run, look at her, and you start real well out of the starting gate. But then halfway through that track run, you stepped off the track, and people look and go, they didn't finish. They didn't go to the finish line. I mean, and even sometimes, you know, you see, as a Christian, it's not how you start the race that it's the most important thing. It's how you're going to finish. How will you finish your race? And we're all in that. Verse 20 and 23, we're going to have to pick it up here. John gives us a way that we can identify the spirit of Antichrist. Look at verse 20. But you, he's speaking to you as believers, you Christians. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know. What no do you think that might be? Oida. And you know all things. Wow. You have an anointing from the Holy One. That word anointing is charisma. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of you when you become born again. You're a Christian. That anointing that you have from the Holy One uh, is what reveals truth to you and I. You see, as I'm sitting here teaching, those of you that are born again and saved, and I'm going to assume that you all are, though God knows, you're all going, yeah, I see that. I agree with that because there is God's Spirit in you that shows you truth. 1 John 3.24 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. 1 John 5.6 It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. His Spirit dwelling in you in truth is also that Charisma, that anointing that opens your understanding to truth. John is telling the believers there, this is how you can identify the spirit of Antichrist. He says in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know, Oida, the truth, you don't, because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. Oida again, and no lie is of the truth. Have you ever heard a teacher or somebody talking about the things of God, and then something in your spirit is telling you, that's not right. That's not right. I don't even know the scripture to support what I'm thinking, but I just know that what they're saying is not right. 
that doesn't line up with what I know. And I, and I believe that the Holy Spirit of God that is in you allows you to identify things that are not true. John says in verse 21, because no lie is of the truth. If somebody's feeding you a lie and you're a born-again Christian, you have the, the Holy One that has imparted His Spirit within you, you know when the lie comes. If I just say to you, Jesus isn't God, all of you are sitting up going, yes, He is. You know. And it's, it, it goes that way with truth in God's Word. So we... I'm going to push ahead here. We're going to push ahead to verse 22. He says, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. That's the truth test. That's how we test ourselves against the Word of God. By asking ourselves the questions that are posed. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? Christ means anointed one. Christ is speaking of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the anointed one that was spoken of in the Old Testament. And so you say, well, do all I have to do is believe that Jesus is the Messiah? For those of you that are Christians, would that be sufficient to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? That's all you need to believe. No. He's more than just the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's God in flesh. Who uh, is a liar? Or in the Greek, it's who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies not just the Father, but the Son also. So, when we're talking as Christians about what we believe and what we would hold to, we're talking about the fundamental beliefs as a Christian. Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus came and went to the cross and died for my sin. He was, he was raised from the dead, and He's alive today. That's the simple gospel truth. The one that would deny those basic truths, even if a person says, I believe in God. And, and as a Christian, you go, yeah, but do you believe anything more than that? Because a lot of people believe in God. Or a God. But do you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, you know, that's, you know, that's a different issue. You see, there's some people that want to say, well, believing in God's enough. But it's not enough. The devil believes in God too, doesn't he? And tells us that he trembles in fear. So belief in a God is insufficient. It's belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. Is he your only hope of salvation? There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. Verse 23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. In other words, they go hand in hand. You can't say you believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Maybe some of you did that before you really came to know Christ. Yeah, I have no problem with God. But you know what, Jesus, you know, I, I, I don't think that, you know, that, that he's the only way or that I have to put my faith in that. It's essential that a person would acknowledge who Christ claimed to be. He's the Son of God. He's God in flesh. We, in a sense, can say he was a God-man. He was all flesh in his humanity, and he was all God in his deity, in one man. Paul, or Peter, preaching the gospel in Acts 3.14, 
As he preached the gospel, he said this to the crowd that he was preaching to. He says, but you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murder to be granted to you. You denied. You said that he, I don't need him. You rejected him as your Messiah. You rejected him as the Son of God. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That was that whole Romans where Paul's talking about they suppressed the truth. Push it down. Like, no, no, he's not our Messiah. He's not the one we're waiting for. It's essential that we believe the truth, hold to the truth, stand on the truth, abide in the truth. Verse 24, and we're close. Therefore, let that, and what's that? Therefore, let that, I believe it's this truth, abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Let that truth that brought you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when you gave your life to Him, let it abide in you. That's what you heard in the beginning. It's where you started out. Let it continue to be what you follow and what you believe. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, this truth or these truths, you also will... uh, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Do you see that? If the truths of those of the gospel abides in you, and you continue in that, and then you are also abiding in the Son and the Father. Meaning you can't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know who the Father is? Then look to me. We are one. That one statement almost got him killed on one occasion. You know, you being a mere man, you make yourself out to be God with those kind of statements. Fact is, he was God in flesh. To abide means to dwell. In other words, this truth that dwells within you by God's Holy Spirit. It abides, it's what you started on, and it's what we will finish on. But be aware, there are many antichrists out there that want to tell you something different than what you began in, what you started in. And this is the promise, verse 25, that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. The, one of the jobs of a pastor is to teach the Word of God. Another job of the pastor is that he would seek to protect the flock. Teaching and protecting. Because there's a lot of stuff out there. So, my feelers go up when I have something come in that I go, that's weird. That's not right. Uh, you know, I, I'd be watching. Because that's what God's called me to do. But look at verse 27. But the anointing, that charisma which you have received from Him, that's where it came from, it abides in you, it dwells in you, and you do not need that anyone, excuse me, anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. You have no need that anyone teach you. You say, well, why don't you get down from there, Greg? Why are you teaching us then? There is the gift of teaching in Scripture. God has given that gift for people to communicate the Word of God. But I want to say that ultimately your understanding of truth doesn't come from Greg. 
It comes from that anointing or that Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. That opens up your understanding to what I am saying because His Spirit is confirming in your heart that it's right and you're seeing it in the Word of God and you're saying, yes, that's right. That it's not me, but it's God's Holy Spirit that illuminates Scripture and illuminates truth to you and I. And it's not a lie. Verse 28. And now, little children, again he says it, abide in Him. In other words, you dwell in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. It's coming, church. Jesus Christ is coming back. We will all stand before the Lord someday. And we will give an account. I don't want to be in a position or in a place, one of compromise. But I also don't want to be one that has been led away by false truth. And a false thinking. Uh, I don't want to stand before the Lord on that day. This being ashamed is literally reads this way, that we would not shrink back from Him ashamed at His coming. 1 John 4.17, looking ahead, says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. It's not talking about the great white throne judgment for the unbeliever. It's talking about the Christian standing before the judgment seat of Christ. That you might have great boldness in that day. I want to be in that place where when I walk before the Lord as an imperfect human being and standing there in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, that I'm going to be standing in the boldness that I have through Him. He's right. Stay right there, Jesus. You know what I mean? But it's the truth of God's Word. We'll close in verse 29. If you know, Oida, that he is righteous, you know, Gnosko, that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. That born of God is being born again. Born again by His Holy Spirit. If you're not born again this morning, you know it. If I asked you, are you born again? And you say, well, I think I am. What would you, how would you define that? To me, being born again is that God's Spirit came and made residence in your body. You became the temple of the living God. The day you said, God, forgive me and come into my heart and save me from my sin. And I believe in Jesus Christ that He's my only hope of salvation. And supernaturally, God by His Holy Spirit came and placed His Spirit in your heart. And you became born again. And then you started to see in your life change. Things began to change in life. And here we read that we know, or you know, Gnosko, that everyone who practices righteousness, or the old King James reads this way, Everyone who doeth righteousness. You see that? It's like action involved. It's like doing something. Everyone who doeth righteousness is born of Him. Is a, ch- is a true child of God. We're not talking about perfection, church. We're talking about people that have come and started out in the truths of the Gospel. And we're going to carry that to the very end. We're going to stand before the Lord in His righteousness someday, not our own. But my job as a Christian is to yield and to abide in Him and say, God, I I want to practice righteousness. I want to do good deeds. Not because they're saving me, but because I am a Christian and it's what I ought to do. The test of truth the test of obedience, and the test of love. We've gone through all three of those now. We're going to, as we finish this letter of 1 John, we're going to be actually looking at those 
three tests again. He's going to bring them up again, not in the same way that we're reading them at the first go, but he's going to bring them up a second time. And he says, now I'm going to give you a very practical application of what each one of those things means. And by the time we get to chapter 5, verse 13, we're all going to be going, I know that I know that I'm saved. Based upon what God's Word says and the test I just took, there is no doubt in my mind that I have Jesus Christ in my life and that He's working in me. That's where we all want to be. This is not a letter to defeat Christians. This is a letter to ground you in your assurance that you know Him. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.